government regulations, which were created to protect employees, are actually hurting them. It's regulation after regulation. Until the government understands that they have to create an environment suitable for us to keep growing, we're going to stay in this recession a long time. The federal government has blocked efforts to expand the ride-sharing. The owners say the restaurant has succumbed to the crush of government regulation. We have seen an unprecedented explosion of new regulatory $1.8 trillion. That's how much business companies to close. I think there are outdated regulations that need to be changed. There is red tape that needs to be cut. The regulations are... There's a regulation that doesn't make any sense. Why do you keep... Is this really the best we can do? This is Free Lunch, the podcast of the Federalist Society's Regulatory Transparency Project. All expressions of opinion on this podcast are those of the speakers. Welcome to the 28th episode of the Federalist Society Free Lunch Podcast Call for the Regulatory Transparency Project. Visit the RTP website at regproject.org, R-E-G-Project.org, where we've posted all 27 previous episodes of this podcast, in addition to 21 issue papers, 34 videos, and other content. And if you want to track our progress and receive alerts about new content or events, you should, you should subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My name is Devin Westhill. I'm the director of the RTP and the host of the Free Lunch Podcast. Our Free Lunch Podcast today examines a long-standing EPA policy that allowed regulatory officials to rely on non-public scientific data when creating regulations. The propriety of this system was recently placed into question when EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt announced that he will soon end the agency's use of secret science in developing new rules. Some have criticized this shift namely former EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy in a New York Times opinion piece as an attack on science. Others, however, have lauded the move as a positive development for transparency in the process of developing policies with major impacts. So is there a secret science or transparency problem that needs to be addressed at EPA? If so, have there been attempts historically to correct the problem? What are the implications of excluding these non-public studies and methodologies? Here provide background on the subject and to discuss how transparency in government can be strengthened and better informed policymaking are our two free lunch podcast guests, Darren Baxt and Richard Belzer. Darren is the Senior Research Fellow in Agricultural Policy at the Heritage Foundation. He studies and writes about agricultural and environmental policy and property rights, among other issues, in an extremely broad portfolio. Darren frequently submits comments on regulatory, uh, to regulatory agencies and has appeared in or been quoted by a wide range of media outlets such as the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and CNN. Prior to joining the Heritage Foundation, Darren was a policy counsel for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, where he focused on regulatory reform, environmental policy, as well as food and agricultural policy. He also served as the executive to the Association's Government Oversight Operations and Consumer Affairs Committee, which was responsible for issues such as regulatory process reform. Darren was also director of legal and regulatory studies at the John Locke Foundation in North Carolina for seven years. Darren earned his bachelor's and master's degrees from George Washington University, his law degree from the University of Miami, and a master's, uh, a master of laws degree from American University. Since 2001, Richard Belzer has been an independent consultant in regulation, risk, economics, and information quality. Previously, he was a visiting professor of public policy at Washington University in St. Louis and economist in the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs in the Office of Management and Budget. Richard is a regular contributor to scholarly professions through journal peer review and serves to professional societies. He was elected treasurer of the Society for Risk Analysis, for example, in 1998 and 2000. 
Uh, Richard earned multiple awards for his exemplary performance while at OMB, including the SRA's Distinguished Service Award. In 1995, he was named a fellow of the Cecil and Ida Green Center for the Study of Science and Society. And in 2017, Richard completed a two-year term as a member of the U.S. EPA Science Advisory Board panel on economy-wide modeling. Rich earned his doctorate in public policy from Harvard University, his master's in public policy from Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government, and his master's and bachelor's of science degrees in agricultural economics from the University of California, Davis. Finally, I'm pleased to say that both of today's distinguished guests serve as members of the RTP's Energy and Environment Working Group. Okay. If you'd like to learn more about either of these distinguished individuals, please visit regproject.org. Before I begin, I'd like to remind our listeners that the Federal Society takes no position on particular legal or public policy initiatives, and therefore, therefore, all expressions of opinion on free lunch podcasts are those of our featured speakers. Our guests have graciously agreed to take questions after their remarks as well, so please be prepared with any questions that you might have prior to the start of the question and answer period. Okay. Thank you, Darren and Richard, for participating in today's free lunch podcast. I'll now turn the floor over to you, Darren, to get us started the floor is yours, sir. Thank you, Devin. Um, really appreciate the invitation and uh, to participate today. I want to thank everybody who's participating and calling in today. So should the public be allowed to know how federal agencies develop policies that have major impacts on our lives? Should they be able to provide comments and help inform those who are making decisions about our lives? And I think the answer is, of course. Now, there, there might be some limited concerns that need to be addressed, but that doesn't change the bottom line answers to those questions. So what is the EPA actually proposing? The answer is it's not clear yet. There's supposed to be an announcement today, shortly after this teleform, which might provide some clarity. However, the reports are that the agency will no longer allow the use of secret science in developing federal regulations. And specifically, the agency will only use scientific studies to develop regulations when the data and the methodology for those studies are made accessible to the public. In addition, the EPA will only fund studies that make this critical information available to the public. And, and that seems pretty logical to me, but some folks are criticizing this proposal. So I just want to go through some of these criticisms. So one of the criticisms is that, look, peer review is sufficient, so there's no need for EPA action at all. Well, to me, a, a trust the agency mentality just doesn't cut it. If we're discussing studies that were just being debated in the academic community, then we wouldn't even be having this teleform. But these studies, though, are being used for justification for developing far-reaching and costly regulations. So once the science is developed, is being used to formulate policy, the rules of the game entirely change. The public needs, at that point, to see the data and the methodology. The public doesn't have a reasonable opportunity to comment if they can't even properly address scientific studies that are the foundation of the EPA's policy decisions. But it's not just about the public, though. I mean, agencies benefit by getting much-needed outside perspective on the studies that are being used. So the public, and that includes scientists as well, can provide a useful check on problems that might exist, even if a study is being peer-reviewed. So there, if there are problems of like conflicts of interest or bias or statistical flaws or even fraud, that's something that outside folks, including the scientists and the public overall, can alert the agency to. Now, another kind of just broad criticism is that this is all just anti-science. 
and I simply have no idea how making science more open, transparent, and ensuring the best science is used is anti-science. The scientific method is premised on the idea that others should have a way to test theories, to build upon past studies and, if applicable, to challenge studies. And essential to the scientific method is reproducibility. So, so the, the journal Nature did a recent survey, and they found that more than 70% of researchers have tried and failed to reproduce another scientist's experiments. And more than half failed to reproduce their own experiments. So practically, why does that matter? Well, first means policy is being developed based on flawed studies. But it doesn't stop there. To just bring in some legal jargon, we now have a fruit of the poisonous tree problem. So in other, other words, other agencies are going to rely on this bad policy and these bad scientific findings. So one bad study leads to bad policy that leads to more bad policy. Soon this bad science is impacting millions of lives and helping to establish conventional wisdom that's just completely wrong. And by that time, nobody even remembers how that conventional wisdom got started in the first place, and good luck challenging conventional wisdom. Another criticism is actually one of the, uh, a line from the, the New York Times op-ed that Devin mentioned before, a line by, um, co-authored by Gina McCarthy, who was a former EPA administrator. So in the, in the op-ed, it says, um, Pruitt alone will decide what is and isn't acceptable science for the agency to use when developing policies that affect your health and the environment. Well, actually what's being proposed is the exact opposite. It would ensure that the public, including scientists, can have input on what is acceptable science. It would require the EPA to have to make the case for why they used certain studies. Another line in that op-ed Quote, some of these studies, particularly those that determine the effects of exposure to chemicals and pollution on health, rely on medical records that by law are confidential because of patient privacy policies. Dot, dot, dot. The agency also relies on industry data to develop rules on chemical safety that is often kept confidential for business reasons. And, and to me, this is really the only somewhat reasonable criticism, or at least one that I think needs to be responded to. So just generally... I want to state that the principles of open government and public participation are more important than whether some studies can be used or not. These principles aren't something that can be thrown away just because some officials want to use studies that they like. And I would assert the following is actually the central question. Should technocrats run the, uh, the administrative state with no checks and no oversight? And I think most people hopefully think that our country shouldn't be run by self-proclaimed experts without accountability accountability and oversight. The good news is, though, the privacy issues that are mentioned can be addressed without any significant problems. One, the information can be redacted. Two, if anybody wants to have studies used to inform policymaking, they can adjust their studies accordingly. I'd also stress, and when I talk about data methodology, I'm referring to data methodology that is really directly relevant to reproduce a study or make a proper evaluation of the study. And also, just because I've seen some recent arguments that kind of compel me to make this point, and that is I would draw a distinction between rules of general applicability, so legislative rules, and other agency actions. So, for example, when the, when the federal government requires a company to provide confidential information for securing a permit, the public's need for that information, which probably is non-existent, is less important in that situation than dealing with legislative rules, for lack of a better term, because those rules are broad-based, impacting millions of people. It's just unreasonable for an agency to condition a permit 
on the business, sorry about that, um, on the business having to reveal confidential information. This doesn't mean that privacy concerns only matter when dealing with confidential business information. The, the information should be treated no differently than medical records or other private information. Another criticism in the op-ed is that the EPA fight against secret science exists because, quote, the Trump administration has put the profits of regulated industries over the health of the American people. This doesn't make sense. They, they say this even though the EPA's new push for transparency would work against the administration if that was their grand plan. After all, the EPA is not going to be able to use secret science to help industry. So is this whole anti-secret science thing radical? And the answer is no. Um, just a couple of quotes. First quote, to the extent practical and permitted by law and applicable policies, each agency should identify and make publicly available on the agency website or some other widely available forum, references to the scientific literature underlying data, models, and research results that are considered. That's from the Administrative Conference of the United States in the 2013 project that they did on science and the rulemaking process. That's one of the recommendations. One other quote, quote, scientific research and analysis comprise the foundation of all major EPA policy decisions. Therefore, the agency should maintain vigilance toward ensuring that scientific research and results are presented openly and with integrity, accuracy, timeliness, and the full public scrutiny demanded when developing sound, high-quality environmental science. That's from the EPA. That's the EPA's 2012 scientific integrity policy. So clearly none of this is radical. So the, the bottom line, transparency and public participation ensures that if laws are going to be developed by unelected and unaccountable people, there's at least some check that exists. The Administrative Procedure Act of 1946 and our rulemaking process is intended to protect the interests of the public. The following is from the Senate Judiciary Committee Report 1945 on the Administrative Procedure Act. Quote, the committee has also taken the position that the bill, the Administrative Procedure Act, must reasonably protect private parties even at the risk of some incidental or possible inconvenience to or change in present administrative operations. And, and that's the critical point that I've been making. The, the law and our basic protections that exist to protect the public are not negotiable. If the entire system is undermined and its integrity threatened by the use of secret science, th then changes have to be made. And, and to its credit, EPA is, appears to be making much-needed changes. But fortunately, though, there doesn't have to be a trade-off between sound science and the respect for the rule of law. So thank you, and uh, Richard, I'll give it to you. Thank you, Darren. I'll uh, follow up with some background and uh, a little, a slightly different perspective on it, but certainly not inconsistent. Um, when I first learned about the administrator's uh, plan for and taking some action, I was expecting a guidance document, and um, that expectation seems to be incorrect. Although maybe at, at two o'clock today we'll learn that there is a guidance document. But EPA's Office of Research and Development submitted a draft notice of proposed rulemaking to OMB on April 19th, and the title of it is Strengthening Transparency and Validity in Regulatory Science. So it could well be that that is um, what the administrator will be talking about today. But the fact that EPA is, is proposing a rule and not necessarily just internal guidance means that it's virtually certain 
uh, to either impose new duties on the public, provide the public with new positive rights, or maybe both. Now, an example of new duties could include specific requirements for the submission of data, models, and computer code by anyone who wants EPA to use their information in rulemaking. An example of a new positive right that could be included is an explicit authorization for the public to raise legal challenges in cases where the agency does not comply. Well, <clears throat> a lack of transparency at EPA has been a problem uh, for a long time, but EPA isn't alone. That EPA relies heavily on scientific and technical information for making decisions. The agency may disseminate thousands of pages of supporting documents, but it often doesn't disclose key data, models, and assumptions that are needed to fully understand the basis for its policy choices. And nowhere is this problem more acute than for studies published in scholarly journals. Now, some journals require authors to make their data and methods available to third parties on request. The American Economic Review immediately comes to mind. But most journals don't do this. When the federal government funds empirical studies, and you know that it does a lot, it has the right to obtain the data that are collected. Federal agencies generally don't exercise this right, however. Instead, regulatory agencies simply rely on a published article as if it fully represents the results of the research project. Now, because of publication bias alone, this is never the case. This means the public cannot reproduce the results and determine, for example, whether they are sensitive to the researcher's choice of data or assumptions, models, statistical methods. But it also means EPA staff cannot reproduce the researcher's results either. They have to rely on what the researchers chose to publish. And by doing so, they implicitly subdelegate a lot of their regulatory authority to university professors. So it's no wonder that this practice is controversial. Now, when industry funds research, the situation is reversed. Whether it's to obtain a tolerance for a pesticide, the approval of a permit, or information about the biological effects of the substance, industry is required to submit all their data to EPA. In many cases, EPA also is required to adhere to EPA-specified research protocols and be subject to laboratory audits. Uh, in 2000, Congress directed OMB to implement certain authorities it had delegated to OMB back in the Paperwork Reduction Act Amendments of 1995. Now, OMB issued final government-wide information quality guidelines in February 2002, directing federal agencies to issue their own agency-specific but compatible guidelines, and most agencies, like EPA, complied by October 1, 2002. These guidelines impose certain procedural and substantive requirements on agency information dissemination. And transparency is the key procedural requirement. To comply with this requirement, information disseminated by a federal agency must be capable of being substantially reproduced by qualified third parties. Analyses can't be reproduced if underlying data are not made public. Now, <clears throat> Objectivity is the key substantive requirement of the information quality paradigm, 
And it basically means that scientific and technical information has to be free of bias. Few people will publicly say that these criteria are inappropriate, that inaccuracy, unreliability, bias, or lack of clarity are good things. So opposition to information quality principles seems motivated by other considerations. I have a word about confidential business information, which goes by the acronym CBI in uh, EPA world. Recent press accounts have suggested that the EPA action today could, could have an effect on that. I think this is extremely unlikely. CBI is protected by law, and any transparency rule or guidance that undermined it would prompt litigation. And if the rule went out overturned, it would destroy EPA's pesticide registration program, among other things. That doesn't make any sense. CBI protection exists not to keep confidential information away from the citizens, it's to keep confidential information away from competitors. Now, OMB's information quality guidelines, which again date from 2002, do not require public disclosure of CBI, so this really isn't an issue. Also, a world about privacy, as recent press accounts have also suggested that transparency at EPA would turn the federal government into maybe something like Facebook. This is another red herring. Agencies routinely collect data with personally identifiable elements, and they strip out these elements before making data public. This is nothing new, and there are established procedures for doing it. OMB's information quality guidelines do not require public disclosure of personally identifiable information, so this too is just not a real issue. So, if EPA were complying with OMB's and its own information quality guidelines, secret science would really not be a thing. EPA would routinely obtain and make public the information it relies upon to make policy or regulatory decisions, EPA would not rely upon studies in which the data, models, or methods were not disclosed. Qualified third parties would never be prevented from reproducing the original author results, whether it was produced by EPA staff, an agency contractor, a consultant, a company or a trade association, an NGO or an activist group, or an academic entity or individual. Regardless of who produces the information, transparency is simply a minimum procedural requirement. You don't want to disclose your data? Fine. But don't expect to have an impact on public policy. Now, a key advantage of the information quality paradigm is that science would stop being the subject of interagency agreements, public controversy, legal challenges to EPA rulemaking, or even congressional oversight hearings. The agencies would still disagree about policy because Congress has given them different, often conflicting missions. The public would still have a better and vigorous debate concerning things like how safe is safe and not be distracted by arguments about the extent to which human health risk assessments are biased, undisclosed, or intentional policy preferences. We would have vigorous debate concerning whether the benefits of major regulation justify the costs and not be distracted by arguments about whether cost is undercounted or benefits are exaggerated or anything like that. Now, we don't know what's in the agency's um, uh, coming announcement today or what's in the NPRM that's 
now want to review at OMB. But if the NPRM, uh, if promulgated, would direct EPA to fully comply with information quality guidelines and it enables the public effectively to hold the agency accountable, then the rule would have long-standing benefits for the quality of EPA policy and rulemaking. And I think that it would have, to an underappreciated extent, it would dramatically reduce social conflict about these things. Now, the information quality guidelines have been in place for 16 years. It's never too late for EPA to take them seriously. That concludes what I have to say to start, and like Darren, we'd be happy to take questions. Thanks so much, Richard and Darren. I really appreciate your opening remarks. Um, what we'll do at this time is go to audience questions, as Richard suggested. Uh, so everyone on the call in a moment is going to hear a prompt indicating that the floor mode has been turned on, and anyone who's a listener on the call uh, can request the floor by entering star and then pound on your telephone keypad. I'm going to open the floor now. Okay, the floor mode has been turned on. Uh, when we get to your request, you'll hear a prompt, and then you may ask your question. We'll answer all the questions in the order in which they're received. Again, if you have a question, please enter star and then pound on your telephone keypad, and we'll get to your question in turn. Um, I'd like to take uh, an opportunity to ask a question of both of you fellows before we get to uh, our questions, if that's okay. Um, I read the article by former administrator uh, of the EPA, Gina McCarthy, in the New York Times, and uh, one of the things that she suggests in, in her piece is that uh, these studies uh, rely on medical records that by law are confidential, and also uh, oftentimes industry data that's kept confidential for business purposes. Um, and she goes on to say that uh, the studies are essential, I mean, e quote, essential for making sound policy, uh, and not just for EPA, actually. Um, she abstracts uh, and suggests that they're, they're, these studies are essential uh, for other government agencies who use these studies as well, essential for making sound policy. Um, do either of you have a response to that? I mean, um, it strikes me as though um, you know, confidential medical records uh, or industry data can be redacted or th these studies can redact certain information. It doesn't seem to be, it seems to be a straw man argument. Uh, either of you have any thoughts? Yeah, this is Darren. And um, I mean, I agree, the information can be redacted. I think that for those that want to have their studies considered in, uh, and used in policymaking, they'll adjust their studies accordingly. Um, I, I think it is a red herring. I think Richard will probably flesh that out some more. Well, yes, the, the confidential business information angle to that, that occurs in things like pesticides and the, um, the chemicals uh, being um, submissions and things of that sort. And that that's protected, again, and by law, EPA has extensive um, internal controls over that, and again, I don't see anything that the that administrator Pruitt, you know, is about to do that's going to change any of that. Those things, those protections have been there for for decades, and they're enshrined in law. Um, for personally identifiable information, uh, again, we have long-standing established methods for stripping out that information, for making sure that uh, individuals can't be identified. Um, that is uh, not necessary to make uh, the, the data 
um, uh, uh, publicly available. Uh, that information would never be disclosed anyway, and it's just not important. It's not a real issue. Okay, thanks, fellows. Maybe my question should be uh, directed towards Administrator, uh, former Administrator McCarthy, to see uh, why exactly that those stu those studies are are uh, essential for making sound policy. Uh, presumably, with uh, that identifying information uh, unredacted or unstripped out. So, uh, in any event, let me uh, go to our first question. Anyone else who has a uh, uh, a question, you can enter star in the panel and telephone keypad, and we'll get to you. Um, Caller, when we get to you, uh, you can ask your question. Hi, uh, good afternoon. My name is Sean Riley. I'm a reporter with E and E News. I had two quick questions. One, uh, just a point of clarification: uh, Is this call be expressly being held in anticipation of the EPA announcement uh, expected later this afternoon, or was it already previously scheduled? Yeah, I think that question is probably for me and Devin Westhill, uh, Federalist Society. Uh, we had no idea. Uh, that this announcement from the EPA was going to happen on the same day as, as this call. We've, we've had this plan for uh, several weeks now. You can go to our website and, and, and find out when exactly we posted that. I don't have the information with me right now, but, but uh, it, it was not in anticipation of this announcement, no. Okay, thank you. And my other question is, um, as you're probably aware, environmental groups are already predicting that whatever policy um, or proposed rule is unveiled today, that it will ultimately be struck down by the courts. Um, back in 2002, in a case that became, came before the D.C. Circuit, uh, brought by American Trucking Associations and other, I think, industry plaintiffs, uh, the, they sought to um, require EPA to obtain and publicize the data underlying published studies that the agency relies on for rulemakings. And the court uh, ruled against them and agreed that uh, with EPA, quote, they're requiring agencies to obtain and publicize the data underlying all studies on which they rely, quote, would be impractical and unnecessary. Um, given that precedent, I mean, do you think this, whatever is proposed today, can withstand uh, a court challenge? And if so, why? Thank you very much, but Mr. This is, uh, this is Richard. Uh, this is Richard Belzer. I'll come in first because I'm the non-lawyer here, so okay. I, can make up, I can make up law uh, at, uh, at a whim. Uh, the, uh, the case in, in question is specific to a particular statute and a particular rulemaking, and mm -hmm. I don't see that being what, what's happening today. This is a generalized policy with regard to mm -hmm. how information is going to be shared uh, with the public. So I don't think that the precedent would apply. Darren? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. And also, I that would be the court saying, you know, um, Responding to what was requested of the of the agency, correct? In that case, mm -hmm. um, so see no reason why the agency can't just do it on its own. Uh, mm -hmm. To and I don't know the you know all the details of that case as it relates to that particular issue, but I, I don't see how that has, applies to why the agency can't decide on its own to be mm -hmm. more transparent. Mm -hmm. um, but it's as simple as that. So and as we know, of course, gives significant deference to the agency. So. I mean, I can't imagine the court saying, you know what, agency, you're being too transparent and too open, so we're not going to allow that. Thank, thank you very much. Both for your responses, and thank you, Mr. Riley, for your, uh, for your question. Uh, we've got a couple more questions. Uh, I want to remind everyone on the call, if you have a question, you can enter star and then pound on your telephone keypad, and we'll get to you. Um, I'd like to make an announcement before we get to our next question, however. 
Um, and that is that on Tuesday, May 1st, our upcoming Tuesday, when our nation celebrates its next law day, we will host a uh, our next free lunch podcast call at 12 o'clock noon. The call will examine a first-of-its-kind law recently passed in Arizona that eliminates Chevron-like legal deference in Arizona state courts. The program, in the spirit of law day, will reflect on this new law in the context of our foundational governing principles, such as rule of law, separation of powers, and due process. Our guest will be Jonathan Riches of the Goldwater Institute, who developed and lobbied for the legislation, and preeminent constitutional law and history scholar, Professor Philip Hamburger. Again, that call is scheduled for noon on Tuesday, May 1st. Please mark your calendars. Okay, we'll go on to our next question now. Caller, when we get to you, you can ask your question. Uh, this is Warren Belmar calling. Uh, I'm very pleased to hear of the transparency expansion that's going on at EPA, and I have difficulty in finding any reason for people to oppose uh, whatever uh, is proposed today by EPA that makes the agency more transparent. Uh, my question, though, relates not just to the transparency in the rulemaking proceeding, but during the Obama administration, the practice was not only to not share with the public, uh, but to refuse to even identify in the administrative record when matters went to the court for review. Uh, I'd like to ask our panelists whether they've identified that problem uh, when the courts are called upon to review the reasonableness or propriety of the regulations which are being challenged in court uh, when the index doesn't even tell the court what material has been omitted uh, from the record uh, that the agency nevertheless relied upon. Richard, do you want to take that one? Well, uh, I, this is Richard Belzer. As the again, as a non-lawyer, I can make something up if you'd like. Uh, but no, uh, but I would. I think I think it would probably be inappropriate for me to try to speculate on that. Um, I, I'm, this is really about what EPA would choose on its own um, to to be transparent. And so, uh, presumably, if it did that, that the problem that you're describing would be substantially reduced. Yeah, this is Darren. I, I don't, you know, review that specific issue. I don't want to speculate, but I, was, I think it's important for any administrative record to show why they used studies that they did, why they rejected the studies that they didn't use, and uh, it's all part of the transparency. Um, I, I certainly think it's pretty clear that we're, at least Richard and I, you know, think this is a good step to kind of improve transparency and, and, and rulemaking to make this information available to data and the methodology. But there's certainly, you know, the Data Quality Act and there's other laws that may exist already, um, but certainly a lot more needs to be done. So I'm glad that you pointed out this issue and that's something to look into. Well, please do, because uh, the EPA has uh publicly uh, taken the position at meetings of the Administrative Conference of the United States uh, that it can control the record going to court in terms of what it feels uh, is privileged and therefore not needing to be included. And to the extent that it's not shared with the public to begin with, uh, I would have particular difficulty in then not even telling the court what it relied upon. Just to draw, I mean, it, it just draw an analogy. I, I think one of the reasons why it's so important 
for the public to see the data, the methodology, and to, is you simply can't just assume that agency officials are, you know, we're just going to just trust them and to do the right thing. And, and, the, and the truth is, even in the, the science setting, the secret science issue, even even the well-meaning agency officials need this additional uh, checks and, and feedback because it develops helps develop better policy and identify problems that may exist with the science that they think is actually worth relying upon in developing rules. I mean, what we're talking about here is it's not really about this debate on what study to, I mean, it, it relates to the science, but the science is important because it's directly connected to public policy. So as, let's assume for a second that the it costs some money for the agency, EPA or whatever agency, to make certain information available. That that needs to be um, weighed against the fact that you've got to protect the interests of the public. The public has the, should be able to participate. There should be an open process. Congress has delegated away its lawmaking power, and the agency officials are not elected and accountable. Therefore, you need to have um, this transparency. And plus, the regulations, the policies that are being developed costing billions of dollars. So if it costs a little bit more money for the EPA and the EPA has decided it's worth doing, um, that's fine because quite honestly, the rules that they're developing um, are costing a lot more to taxpayers and to regulated parties. Thank you again, Mr. Uh, Belmar, for your question and thanks for the responses, Darren uh, and Richard. Um, I'd like to actually follow up on something Mr. Belmar said uh, at the very beginning of his question and that is that he couldn't I'm paraphrasing here, he couldn't understand why anyone would not be uh, a proponent uh, or in support of increased transparency uh, in government. Um, that, that sort of, uh, it, it strikes me as though a lot of people would, would be at, at a loss to determine why folks would not be supportive of that. It, it's something that I think, by and large, the, the country is in support of. I think this gets at an elephant in the room here uh, in, in our um, in our conference call, which is administrative Pruitt and the EPA and changes that have been made have um, all been targets um, of uh, environmentalists and others who don't like the direction uh, that that agency is taking uh, and and the leader who's taking that agency in that direction. Uh, I'll quote actually one statement that I think probably gets at this point, and it's again from the uh, opinion piece from former Administrator McCarthy. She writes very early on in that opinion piece, quote, he, Administrator Pruitt, alone will decide what is and isn't acceptable science. Um, from the way I understand this shift, um, that's not actually truthful at all. And it strikes me as though, um, you know, this, you know, uh, uh, opposition to increase transparency, if that's what we want to call it, or, or move away from, quote, secret science, um, is actually a part of a, a larger attack on the direction of the EPA's policies and under uh, Administrator Pruitt. Do either of you have uh, comments on what I what I presume yeah. is sort of an elephant in the room here? It is, Darren. Um, absolutely. I, I did mention that, that quote. I would stress again, I think the exact opposite is happening. The He's not the one making any decisions. He's making sure that the, the public and scientists and everybody can see what the science is, the data, the methodology. In fact, it's, it's, it's the problem is that existing now 
is that the EPA is not transparent. And what he's doing is he's making it more transparent. And if people don't agree with some of the policy decisions that the EPA will be making or has been making, at least you're going to know exactly how they got to those decisions. And it will at least be, you'll see the, have the chance to comment on the science that's being relied upon. That's something you can't say now. And there's plenty of scientific studies that maybe exist where if the data methodology was subjected to um, the public scrutiny, maybe it wouldn't hold up. And I think that's part of the problem. Um, and I think it's about time that some of these studies um, are evaluated. And, and it's not like there's a there's no retroactive kind of approach where you're going back to old rules and getting rid of them as a result. Um, but you would, at least in, in the future, at least we'll know going forward that when policy decisions impacting millions of Americans or, you know, um, and, and potentially limiting their rights, um, and at least we'll know that those decisions were grounded in the best available science. Yeah, this is Richard. Let me uh, just add to that that I think that the that um, the former administrator McCarthy's comment just seems illogical to me. It, it's hard for me to understand how making information more available to the public would intensify Administrator Pruitt's power. It seems to me the opposite. It seems to me that by making information uh, more available, it reduces Administrator Pruitt's ability to do that, which which uh, former Administrator McCarthy is accusing them of attempting to do. His ability to control the outcome and to control the process would be dramatically reduced by being more transparent. I think the opposite occurs with former Administrator McCarthy's positions, in that to the extent they refuse to identify on the record for judicial review what they relied upon, uh, they are the ones who are controlling the review process by not giving the court charged with reviewing the regulation the full record that they acted upon and the full explanation. I would hope that uh, the EPA today would take a look at the cases that are pending in the federal courts, reviewing regulations adopted during the Obama administration to see if they have thus far refused to tell the court what studies they relied upon that were not made part of the record for everyone to review. I think that would be an interesting step for the EPA to take uh, in reviewing its current positions in current pending cases. All, all, all very interesting insights, and, and thank you for your follow-up, uh, uh, Mr. Belmar. Um, what I'll do now is, is um, I, I've been humored long enough. Uh, I'll go on to our next question. Um, if anyone else on the call has a question for our uh, panelists here, just enter star and then pound on your telephone keypad, and we'll get to you. Uh, caller, when, we, when you hear the prompt, you can ask your question. Oh, hi, Jennifer Liu with Bloomberg Environment. Um, you guys have talked a lot about the transparency part of the Honest Act. I was wondering if um, you have any thoughts on the validity, validity and reproducibility part. Thank you, Ms. Liu. Yeah, this is Darren, um, I mean. From, I guess, affecting and how it applies to both industry and um, non-industry research, because I think that was very interesting. Yeah, this is Darren. I would just say I think that the transparency issue is 
um, directly connected to the reproducibility issue. And um, as I was highlighting in the, I, I was just providing one example of in, in the in Nature, um, the journal is talking about the reproducibility problem that exists. And you really have a reproducibility problem if you don't even know what the the data the methodology is. So it's, it's critical to um, to have the ability to reproduce studies because then you can provide some. That's how science gets done. That's the scientific. Uh, well, there are different types method. of scientific studies. Like not everything sure. is the same. So, like, how would what would be a way to apply making science more or you know encouraging validity when some things you just can't repeat? Like. You're also evaluating how um, we know, like the times. Yeah, some things are time specific, so you're not going to literally be able to repeat it. But you can understand what went into doing the study and develop comparable studies. And I would imagine, Richard, you probably have a really good insight into that. Sure. Let me just, uh, Richard uh, Belzer. Let me just point out that there's a there's some terminology that often is confusing. Reproducibility is not about doing the study again. Reproducibility is about taking what has already been done and attempting to recreate it based on the information that's been fully disclosed. Replicability is about trying to repeat a study and get a similar result. But those are different things. And um, the information quality guidelines don't speak at all about replicability, maybe except in a negative sense saying, they don't mean that. They're about reproducibility. So they're about basically trying to um, take what has been done where the person who's providing the information, whether, again, it's an agency or it's someone else, the obligation is to show your work. This is what we teach kids in first and second and third grade with their arithmetic. Show your work. So if you show your work, you should be able uh, somebody else should be able to get the same answer within some reasonable amount of error. Uh, my view of the Honest Act is is that I really think that the the um, reproducibility requirements and transparency requirements are um, I think they're inferior to the existing 2002 information quality guidelines. So if I were given the choice of one or the other, I would stick with what we already have. Thank you both very much, and uh, thank you, Ms. Lou, for your question. Um, what I'll do now, it looks like we've got uh, maybe 15 minutes before we uh, have to end our call here. I see uh, at least one more question pending. I'll make a final call uh, for, for any lasting questions, any lingering questions uh, to anyone in the audience. Uh, if you have one, enter star and then pound on your telephone keypad, or else uh, the question I see pending here will be our last one. Um, and then um, I will ask for final remarks from our guests. Um, okay. Uh, caller, when we get to you, you can ask your question. This is Jimmy Condit, Wood and Grain Associates. Um, when Gina McCarthy says that um, these studies, the secret science is essential, uh, I think what she really has in mind is uh, EPA and other studies that EPA uses to assess the benefits of reducing particulate matter. Um, and anybody who works uh, in the Clean Air Act space, we'll know that most EPA rules, the benefits come almost entirely from particulate matter. So I think the concern really here is, at least on the sort of on the Gina McCarthy side, is that um, if 
this policy goes into effect, um, EPA will basically not be able to assess any benefits for reducing particulate matter, which will have a pretty significant effect on policy decisions and um, under the Clean Air Act. Do, do the speakers have any thoughts on that? Um, this is, yeah, this is Darren, and I would say yes. Uh, some of the like the six city study and certain studies have been used um, for some of the particulate matter standards, et cetera. Um, are some of the questionable uh, data and the studies out there? Um, also, to, to what extent that would this secret science um, change? would have an impact on the abuse of co-benefits. Um, I don't know. Uh, I need to think about that. But the certainly one of the key problems, and I, I think this is what you're referring to also, is that so many regulations are justified not based on the, the benefits for reducing a particular pollutant that is kind of the goal of that particular regulation, but instead the, the regulation is justified based on the co-benefit of reducing particulate matter. And so you, you might have a regulation like the mercury one, for example, where there's almost no benefit um, from the rule if you're just looking at uh, reductions in mercury emissions. All the, all the benefits are coming from reductions in particulate matter. Uh, th this is, I think, kind of an abusive practice. Uh, it's definitely an abusive practice, and I think it's a really big issue Something that's a big concern of mine um, is the abuse of the co-benefits because we're basically developing regulations that where you, the benefits don't exceed the cost when it when it comes to the whole purpose of the regulation in the first place. Plus, under the Clean Air Act, um, there's already a way. There's a whole section on the criteria of pollutants, in particular matter PM 2.5 being one of them, and there's a whole approach and how statutory process in terms of establishing um, what is the proper level for you know, the uh, for particulate matter. Using other regulations as a way to try to um, address particulate matter go, is going outside that process is kind of an end run around the already the, 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 the National Ambient Air Quality Standards process that already exists. So that's a problem. Plus, if you set a standard for a PM 2.5, and you think it's it's, ne it's appropriate and necessary for the protect, you know, human health. Um, if you're going at any point, if you're going below that level, that's no longer a benefit. That winds up being a cost because if you've already said this is what's necessary for a particular matter, then going up, you know below that makes no sense. It winds up being a cost. So it's a complicated issue, but it's something I hope that Congress and uh, agencies and the EPA do pay a lot of attention to this co-benefit problem. Great. Thank you, Darren. Uh, Rick, did you have any additional thoughts here on this question? Well, it is interesting that um, uh, the benefits of controlling particulate matter are such a huge uh, component, not just of the, the claimed uh, benefits of EPA regulation, but of federal regulation generally. And, and it is notorious for being the, uh, the area um, in which the underlying data are not available. Um, I've never been um, convinced that the data couldn't be disclosed with individually identifiable information properly 
properly excluded. Uh, but it is a big deal. Um, it is, uh, I think that it undermines trust in EPA to some extent when they are um, making multi-billion dollar regulatory decisions based on an information that not only are they um, don't seem to, they don't seem to want disclosed, but they don't have the data either. And so they really, in my view, have delegated regulatory authority to the authors of these studies. Thank you very much, Richard. And uh, thanks for the question, Mr. Condi. Um, I see one last question that I think we have enough time for uh, before we get to final remarks from uh, Richard and Darren. So why don't I go to that question, and then we'll cut off question and answer period and hear from our speakers with any final thoughts. Uh, a caller, when we get to you, you can ask your question. Hi there. Thanks for taking my final question. It's Zari Hirji from BuzzFeed News, and it's just a quick question to see if either of the speakers are actually planning on going to the announcement at the EPA later this afternoon. This is Darren. What, I, you, I, what, what are you doing later, Darren? Richard? I'm not. I'm not. I I would have liked to. I'm, I'm not able to. I wish I could, but no, I'm not. Uh, yeah, this is Richard. I am not either. Um, I uh, I don't work in the district, and I try to stay away from the <laughs> District of Columbia as much as possible. <laughs> uh, well, well, thank you for the last question. Thank you uh, for making it a quick one. Uh, sorry that Darren and Rick will not be uh, uh, attending. However, uh, they do oftentimes make themselves available for interviews uh, if anyone on the call is interested in talking with them further on this issue. Um, but in any event, I think we've uh, made it here uh, near to the end uh, of our hour-long program. Uh, Richard, uh, Darren, do you have any questions, or uh, pardon me, any final uh, remarks for the individuals who have joined us here on the call today? Sure, this is Darren. Um, just want to thank the Federal Society for doing this event, and Richard, thank you for joining me uh, on this call, and thank you for ever, everyone for participating today and the great questions as well. Um, look, this this issue is extremely important because EPA is developing policies that have a huge impact on our lives. This isn't Congress developing these policies that have a huge impact on our lives because Congress has delegated so much power to the EPA, far too much power. So that being the case, and I don't see a you know, there might be some solutions, but um, if the EPA is going to be developing these kinds of major policies, it's we can't just simply trust the agency officials to simply do what's right. That, that, it's just completely contrary to the, the rulemaking process, the open process, the public participation. The whole point is you have to create transparency so that at least there's some legitimacy to what the EPA is doing. If you if you have a closed kind of a closed door system and you don't inform the public how these decisions that are really impacting their lives are being made, you undermine the integrity of both the the, the system and lack and people lose faith in the EPA. And also, I just think you're ignoring the kind of the, the rule of law and the, and the principles that kind of guide this country is that policy decisions and laws. Are, aren't something that should just be made by one person or a few people. And I think that when you have kind of this closed-off process, you're letting these major decisions be, be made by one person or a few people. 
So when the New York Times and Jim McCarthy criticize uh, Pruitt for being the one that's going to have more power, uh, like I said, it's the exact opposite. I think that's what's been happening. I think he's making sure that the uh, the public and and, and has a chance to actually have a say in the process. So I, I would commend the EPA for trying to take action now to open up the process, and I hope that Congress, well, first of all, other agencies will follow suit, and ultimately I hope that Congress um, codifies some law to make it clear that secret science is, is to be ended and that we're done with secret science. And this is Richard. Let me let me also uh, thank Devin and the Federal Society for setting this up. And and um, uh, be a non philosophical person, uh, uh, more practical. I want to make a kind of a final comment about peer review because I think it's come up a couple times along the way. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a misunderstanding of what peer review is for. Peer review. And when an article is published in a journal and it goes through peer review, basically it reflects the journal editor's judgment that the article deserves to be published. And there's no generally no suggestion that the authors are necessarily correct about what they publish. They publish something based on recent research. Now, when the government does peer review, uh, it, peer reviewers have a different job, and that is to confirm that what the government is doing is correct. And and academics are really not well equipped to do that well. Most of these studies that we are dealing with are reviewed in the journal. They're published. We know that they're worth publishing. The journal editor has said so. But that's really all we know. Then they often will go through an internal peer review that EPA would organize. And it's not clear to me that the peer reviewers are really well equipped to determine whether EPA's work is true. That's what EPA wants them to tell, to, to reveal. And I don't think it actually works that way. I think a lot of expectations that are unreasonable have been placed on peer review. Public disclosure and transparency is a much better way of trying to get at the truth than relying on, on a handful of experts to review things and, and to give their opinions. Thanks so much, Darren and Richard, for those final remarks um, and for joining us today. I really appreciate you being our guests and uh, discussing this really important topic. I want to thank our audience as well for joining us, and I, I do hope that you all join us again for our May 1st Law Day program discussing Arizona's recent rejection of Chevron-like deference in its state courts with Jonathan Riches of the Goldwater Institute uh, and Professor Philip Hamburger of Columbia Law School. But until we meet again, so long, everyone. On behalf of the Federalist Society's Regulatory Transparency Project, thanks for tuning in to Free Lunch. As always, you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play to get new episodes of Free Lunch when they're published. Also, visit our website at regproject.org. That's R-E-G project.org. There, we regularly upload content in addition to our podcasts, such as short videos and papers. And you can join the discussion by sharing your story of how regulation has personally affected you. Until next time, remember, there's no such thing as a free lunch. This has been a FedSoc audio production. 